Um, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in your presence. We come as followers of your son, followers that are just so grateful that you've set us apart, so grateful that you've given us life and life to the full. Lord, we pray as we study your scriptures that your spirit would move. Father, we recognize at this time those sacred and amazing, the great songs we sung, the scriptures we read in the Psalms, all amazing, yet we know that this time needs to spill over into the rest of the week, Father. That you are not someone who desires just to be worshipped and sung about on Sundays, but to be um, someone who will follow faithfully through the whole week, Father. You have given us your word, you've given us your spirit, and you've given us one another, Father. And we're grateful. We, we know sometimes we don't move as fast as we would like, probably as fast as you would like, and yet we know consistently that you are good. And we can rejoice in that goodness. Lord, thank you for your mercies. Thank you for your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as many of you know, I used to work at Starbucks. Um, and there, there, Starbucks didn't pay a lot. You know, but I, I was young. It didn't really matter. But I saved my money so I could go back home to Miami for the winter break. And I saved X number of dollars getting ready to buy my plane ticket. Then I went online and I found a plane ticket from Portland to Miami for $98. I was like, God, it's good. And I spent the surplus of money that I saved up because I'm like, I don't need it. I just need to get into Miami. Food and everything else will take care of itself. <laughs> and so I went down to Miami. It was an incredible week. Just had a lot of fun. A lot of reconnecting with my family, with friends, with the church down there. It was just awesome. And so the day of my flight, I walk into, um, I, I get dropped off three hours early, you know, being responsible. I, I, I set up my baggage situation so I could get ready to go. And I couldn't find my name in the system. I'm like, ah, cool. So I walk up to the flight um, desk and I'm like, hey, I can't find my name in the system. And they're looking, looking. You're not in the system. And I'm like, did I buy a one-way flight? (laughs) So I look and I'm like, no, I got a two-way flight. I don't know what's going on here. So I showed them and I'm like, oh yeah, your your return flight is next year. You know, and then I was like, seriously? I'm like, why is that even an option? <laughs> like, why would I want to return? Why, why would I wait a whole year? That's not vacation. At that point, I moved. <laughs> but it happened. And so I ended up calling uh, my mom. I asked her, hey, I need some extra money to catch a flight back to Portland. She said she doesn't have the extra money. She's like, what happened to your flight return flight? I'm like, it's for next year. And then she's like, wait a whole year. <laughs> Shout out to my mother. <laughs> then I called someone else. I'm like, hey, can, can you spot me something? This was before, you know, Venmo and all this other stuff. Like someone had to go to the bank and actually drop the money off. And so it was challenging. So I reached out to someone else and they weren't able to. And then I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So I call up Starbucks. I'm like, maybe I could get a situation where I could just spend two more days in Miami and then head back up. My manager was like, no, dude, if you miss... Three days, like I said, then we're going to have to let you go. And I'm like, I actually need this job. So I'm like, I need to get back into Portland ASAP. And so 
I leave the area, uh, a, a campus brother picks me up. Now he's in college, so I'm not asking him for money because I know he doesn't have any. We go to uh, Starbucks, funny enough, next to a Bank of America, and we're talking, I'm lamenting. I'm like, oh gosh, this is like the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me a whole year. I'm like, I'm never gonna make it back. And as I'm looking at the ATM, I'm like, let me see how much money I actually got. I look, and it was so discouraging. I had like $110. <laughs> My gosh, I'm not going anywhere. And then I had that moment, you know that thought where you're like, if I wasn't a Christian, anytime you say to yourself, if I wasn't a Christian, it never is righteous. <laughs> like anytime, if I wasn't a Christian, you have already admitted that the next, the next part is going to be sin. <laughs> but I was seeing people go in and out of the, the ATM next to the Starbucks. I'm like, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd just rob you still too. I'm like, even for all their stuff, just a little bit. I just want $300 so I can go take care of my situation. And... Anyhow, the brother ended up connecting with the sister. She came and she's like, did you even ask God to help you? I'm like, is God going to move my flight over here? She's like, bro, we should just pray. So she prays and the brother prays. And I'm like, hey, man, I'll pray. I don't even remember what I said, but I prayed. And then Jesse gave me a call because Jesse was my ride to pick me up from the airport. Jesse said, hey, where are you? I'm like, funny story, bro. <laughs> I think I'm stuck in Miami. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I booked the flight for the next year. He's like, oh my gosh. Right, this is shortly after he got engaged. And then I was like, man, even if I want, and I shared with him what happened with um, the Starbucks situation. And then he's like, how much does the return flight cost? I'm like, well, there's two layers to this. There's the return flight and getting the money in my account. And then gracious Jesse was like, I could probably help you out. So I went back to the airport. I'm like, hey, is there a return flight to Portland today? They're like, yes, first class. Oh, no. <laughs> I never rode first class before, so I was, I was like, hey, Jesse, so yeah, it's first class, bro. So I totally understand if you can't help a brother out. He's like, no, I can help you out, but I, I do expect to get paid back, which I did pay him back. But he hooked me up, and I flew back, and I was so embarrassed, but I was also sitting in first class, sitting next to some really fancy people. It was good. You know, on one level, it was so embarrassing, but on another level, it was so cool to be next to those people who were talking about business stuff and how everything works itself out. I was like, yeah, you know. And you know, first class, they give you extra t attention. You get, like, M&Ms instead of the normal cookies. <laughs> but I remember, honestly, I think that was in response to prayer. I totally forgot that I even set up a ride to get picked up. And he called and it worked out. You know, anyone's ever been engaged before, you know, every penny counts, every dollar counts. But he was able to be radically generous. But my story was missing me seeking God immediately. My first thought was panic and concern and everything else. I didn't even think about praying because practically that revealed something about me, what I thought God could do in that moment. But the Lord provided Jesse. The Lord knew I was going to mess up and put a year flight later. And I, and I got, and I was able to get credit for that. And they only gave me $10 credit for that. So that's so discouraging. Um, you see, our emotions are powerful things. And as followers of Jesus, we want to be able to. Our emotions come under the lordship of who Jesus is. And I think Moses' story is an incredible story as we unpack um, emotions, primarily fear. I think fear is one of the most powerful emotions we experience, and we need God's mercy to deal with it. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2. The next slide. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. 
you know, this is um, a pillar story for the people of Israel. And we're introduced to an adult form of Moses here. Um, he's not like the Moses who would become the lawgiver and the liberator of Israel, but he is, he is definitely an adult at this point. He's 40 when we pick up this story. So Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid in the sand and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Medina, where he sat down by the well. This story is interesting because you go to the next slide. This story is interesting because Moses, I think, honestly, in verse 12, was legitimately looking for someone who could help. He said he looked this way and he looked that way. I looked up the Hebrew and the Hebrew is like he was actually looking. It wasn't like I'm looking this way and that way so I could potentially kill someone. It's like I'm looking for help. You see, Moses is grown and he sees this injustice and he doesn't see anyone who can step in. And so Moses steps in and kills the Egyptian. It was the right thing to do by human wisdom, potentially. You know, how many of us would have made that decision in the split second? You know, I, I have found as I've matured in Christ, who we are in the split second is who we are. Not who we wish we were. Who we wish we are. Get, put yourself in a split second decision. You will find out very much of how much Christ has formed you and how Christ is doing his good work in you. Like, I believe wholeheartedly no one in here intentionally sins. But I think we, we sin on impulse. We sin on this a quick, you know, I was walking with someone earlier and they punched me on the shoulder for punch buggy. You know, they just didn't even process it. They just saw a buggy and they just, their hand just was released. Do you guys know the game punch buggy? They did that to me. It recently happened. And it was just impulse. It was just impulse. They didn't think too deeply about the situation. They saw a buggy and they were like, it's time to punch. I feel like a lot of times when it comes to us honoring God and doing the right thing before him, our impulse kicks in. And we're like, how can I be the person who can actually obey Jesus in the moment? I want to be patient. I believe all that patient stuff. And then you get on the road and someone cuts you off and sin comes out of your heart. The demonic spirits get unleashed. You're like, I want to love and honor my spouse. And then your spouse does something disrespectful and your sin comes right back out. And it's consistently... You see, it almost feels impossible to obey, obey and do what's right. You see, our mistake is, is thinking in terms of following Jesus that it's easy to love our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently, and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else does around us. We cannot behave on the spot as Jesus did and taught if the rest of our lives we live like everyone else does. 
The on-the-spot episodes are not the place where we can, even by the grace of God, redirect our own Christ-likeness, but ingrained tendencies and actions towards sudden Christ-likeness will not show up. You see, our efforts to take control at that moment will fail so uniformly and so ingloriously that the whole project of following Christ will appear ridiculous to the watching world. We've all seen this happen. Dallas Willard is talking about what happened here. I'm almost certain Moses didn't know if he was threatened by Pharaoh, he would run. Moses didn't know that if he saw injustice, he would kill. Moses found out who he was in this moment, in this split second here. There is a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. This proverb is talking about here that way is basically there is a path of life, a conduct, a course of life that will lead to wisdom, God's wisdom through God's direction. And then there is another way that is our wisdom, our understanding that will lead to death. It will separate us from the life of God that we so deeply desire. So the path of the way marked out by God's wisdom or man's wisdom are the two options consistently laid out before us. You see, fear is one of those things that it's an impulse. It's an impulse. Like if I said, there's a bug in here. All my bug fears, you don't even need to know what type of bug it is. You're already gone. You're like, kill it! Stop! You're like running. Where for me, I hate iguanas. Did you guys know that? You can't even pretend to make me afraid of them because I know they won't survive up here, so I know you don't got any. But I hate iguanas. They creep me out. And I've been scared of iguanas my whole life. There's been times Julian had to save me. You see how much bigger I am than Julian? She had to save me from these animals. And, she, and the Lord has blessed me with Deborah. Uh, you see, the challenge is Moses is getting an opportunity to see who, who he really is. We get the same opportunity. The ways our family of origin has shaped us, we get to see our communities and the larger culture. You know, we live a largely unexamined life. But we don't recognize what actually is driving us or the fears that are driving us at, at, at a deep level at times. You know, I again, knock on wood or knock on whatever this is. When COVID came, you saw like the, the toilet paper was gone. There was a deep fear that that was going to be gone. And so people were stacking up and stacking up. And then when, when, when COVID first was, you know, people had gloves. You didn't know how you could get it. And every news channel was giving different reports. And you didn't know who to trust. You went on CNN and you're like, Dr. Such and Such, and then Dr. Such and Such on Fox, then Dr. Such and Such. And then your cousin, who isn't even a doctor, who got the right website, is like, no, this is what's going on. Trust me. And you're like, you're the least credible guy. But you've been out here for a whole two weeks and you don't got COVID and you're still alive. So you like, you might be credible. You just didn't know who to trust because fear closed off our minds. Fear. You see, in this story, what didn't Moses do? Moses didn't reach out to God. Now, he knew his people. He knew his story a little bit. I'm almost certain. But Moses didn't reach out to God. He didn't look for God. Instantly, his fear kicked in. And he was like, I'm out of here. I'm running away. He might have been able to convince Pharaoh. He might have been Pharaoh. These guys were abusing these guys. You're like my adoptive brother. You know, we're family. Why would I even? Like, come on. What's going on? But instead, he, he ran. 
He ran. Fear was his instant impulse. You see, trusting the eternal God and his wisdom for us helps us move past fear. Help us, help us not yield to fear. The lights go out, don't scare it. That doesn't scare me. No fear there. You go to the next slide. So Moses has seen these two Israelites fight. They get into a fight. And the Hebrew word nakai is the, the hit that the, one of the um, Hebrew, Hebrew slaves threw at the other guy was a hit intended to kill. So Moses is trying to stop murder. He's trying to stop the whole situation. But when Moses hears that this guy knows what he did and, and Pharaoh's aware of what he did, Moses fears the situation. Now that word fear is only used here, the only time in the entire Hebrew Bible here in this situation with man and every other time in reference to God. So the fear that Moses should have had of God, he fears of what Pharaoh's going to do to him. You know, that's, the, that's what we see in Genesis 3.10 where it says, Adam ate and then they heard God in the garden and they were scared and they hid. This is the fear that Proverbs talk about, the fear of God. Like This is the only place in the scriptures where it's used of a fear of man. So Moses' priorities were out of whack in this moment. In this moment, Moses realizes, like most of us with our fears, when we act upon our fears, there's consequences for our fears. And that's tough. And so Moses goes to uh, Midian and he's just out there in the wilderness and his story by God's grace and mercy doesn't end there. You see what Moses story will turn out for most of us and most of us that we understand is that God was still kind to Moses regardless. What is fear? Fear is a feeling. There's a lot of feelings. You know, feelings encompass a range of things that are felt Specifically, sensations, desires, and emotions. We feel warm, hungry, we feel an itch or fearful. Feelings include dizziness and thirst, sleepiness and weariness, sexual interest and desires, pain and pleasure, loneliness, homesickness, anger and jealousy, but also comfort, satisfaction, a sense of power and accomplishment, curiosity, and intellectual gratification, compassion for others, and the enjoyment of beauty, a sense of honor and delight in God, aesthetic experience of art and beauty, personal relations and actions all involve feelings and moreover require that the feelings be somehow right. Feelings are diverse. You know, the challenge is sometimes if we're not careful, our feelings can shape our perceptions of reality. Our fear can shape our perceptions of reality. We have, as people, that's just what we do. We swing pendulums. So before, I think, when I was growing up, I think it was true even before I was growing up, you know, people didn't validate what you felt. You know, my, I talked to my little league coaches. They didn't care. Then I'm like, I'm scared. They're like, shut up, boy. <laughs> like, you just got to keep playing. You know, you tell the kids, hey, I don't know. I feel Something feels off. The kids are like, keep playing. No one cared what you felt growing up. And so then you grow up into this stoic monster who's just always angry. And now everyone's like, why do you feel this way? And you're like, you, you made me like that, right? Then we swung the pendulum the other way. Where now every feeling is validated, which is not a bad thing in entirety, but there's certain things that shouldn't be validated, right? Like if I showed up and I'm like, hey, I went to use Starbucks as an example. I go to Starbucks. I spent this 
$6 for this cup of coffee? Where is your twist and dance and happiness? You hurt my feelings when you didn't do that. And, and the person said, I'm sorry, but da, 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 no, I don't feel like you validated me. Like, hold up, can you explain why you didn't? You'd be like, whoa, you went too far. You Now you're entitled. And so as people, we got to make sure that we do validate emotions. We do validate some real sincere things. But at the same time, we don't act like feelings aren't a real thing. You see, there's no complete list of feelings, but feelings can hold us captive. It can distort reality. How many of us have ever felt like, ah, oh, man, this is what's going to happen when fear sets in, the worst case scenario, and then you talk to someone else and they just alleviate all of those concerns. You're like, man, I did a study for this exam. The professor's going to give all the hard stuff. This is going to be awful. And then your friend comes in who took the test before you. Oh, it's everything we've been studying before. You're totally ready. Really? I didn't get no sleep. I, I basically did like 30 shots of espresso trying to understand this thing. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. You're like, what? Alleviated fear. Now, that's not the only emotion we can feel in moments. Sometimes we can even feel like, man, what if... Uh, what if the situation that I think might actually not work itself out, this, this dangerous situation, actually isn't as dangerous once you get input and advice about certain things? So in, in this unique situation, Moses didn't know what Pharaoh actually was going to do because he didn't talk to him. But our fears can hold us back. Our fears can paralyze us. Our fears can keep us from moving positively toward God, and sometimes it can move us negatively away from God. You know, our feelings can take us captive the way it did Moses, who just fled from Pharaoh. Now, maybe that was wise, but he definitely didn't pray about it. He definitely didn't think about it. You see, in that moment, Moses' fear was greater than who he knew God to be. Now, he didn't know God well, and that's what we find out in chapter 3, but he fled. Our feelings are good, and I don't want us to I don't want us to become the stoic church that don't have feelings. We want to have feelings. Feelings are good. They're a good indicator, but they're not the absolute source of what reality is. There are other components that need to come in when we're judging on what reality is. We've all experienced hurts and fears. You know, many of us in romantic relationships, if Someone had a really rough childhood with mom or dad. Sometimes they're like, oh, you're going to do this thing and da 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 And you're just like my dad. And you're like, I don't really know your dad. I don't, I'm just thinking this. No, you're just like my dad. My dad will do this and do that and do that. But honestly, that isn't even remote. I just wanted a glass of water. I'm not trying to oppress you. Say no. You are free to say no. Or you've been under a poor leader. In, 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 even in the church, you've been under a poor leader. And that leader may have abused his authority, abused what he's done to you. And now I'm like, hey, guys, you know what? I think we should go and make disciples. Oh, Steve, man, you're, just, oh, you're such a tyrant, man. It's all about the numbers. And you're like, whoa, it's right here in Matthew 28. Not the numbers. Go make disciples. If you want, no numbers. Go talk to someone. Man, I don't know about that. We all can feel these things. And fear is a powerful feeling. I grew up and I seen broken marriages left and right. When I got baptized and I saw the successful marriages, and my gut instinct was like, all of these things are going to fall apart. No one knows how to love each other well in this world. Everyone's mean. Everyone's critical. Love is horrible. And then I saw Julian, and I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. <laughs> and 
gave it a try, and it seems like it's working so far. <laughs> but our fears, they paralyze us. They paralyze us. You know, if you had a bad experience serving in the church, some of you, man, I know serving in a church can be like the mafia. Like once you get in, you never get out. And so you moved over here, and we want you to feel healed. We want you to feel loved. But you moved over here, and you're like, I'm never going back, bro. Never. <laughs> I hear that. I hear that. Because sometimes people are taking advantage of people. It's a real thing. And I don't want to not validate the fear. But I also want to say, okay, how can we make things different in this situation? How can we do this in a more healthy way? But I know sometimes fear can even prevent us from moving forward. We could feel the fear in situations where we feel like, man, God, you let me down last time I put myself out there. Like last time you said do this and I felt the call from your spirit. You put me out there and now I went out there and it didn't happen. And I suffered the loss from that situation. And you're like, forget Romans 5. I don't want to know about what suffering produces. I didn't want to suffer. I was scared. I stepped out on the water and I sunk immediately. Yeah, I'm still alive, but I'm in debt. And you're like, I'm not trusting God anymore. No way. Fear. God is greater than our fears. You know, a lot of times we don't even slow down to recognize that our fears are holding us back. That our fears are moving us away from God. You may have been hurt. You may have had challenges. And you're like, you know what? I'm not picking up that Bible anymore. Next person who tells me to have a quiet time, I'm going to write about this on Facebook and tell them I hate them. And you're like, relax. Don't call it a quiet time. Call it a Bible study. Call it, read your Bible. Call it whatever you want, but it's still a good thing. We can't be scared of that. Fear can hold us back. Are you feeling like you're getting closer to God or away from God? Feelings are good indicators, but not the whole thing. You go to the next slide. So 40 years later, 40 years after this event, long time. Long time. <laughs> he's out in the, the, he married Jethro's daughter. He's like doing whatever he's doing. He's probably been able to save up some good money. And he's like, hey, that's just what my life is going to be. We pick up. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The priest of Medina. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Same thing Moses was. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanite, Hittites, Amorites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. 
And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to them. I am has sent me to you. Forty years later, I wish sometimes our character could change in 30 seconds or less. Forty years later, the creator God calls Moses in his burning bush moment. The creator speaks to Moses and he says, go release my people. Moses, as you would read in chapter three and four, is afraid still. He's like, I'm afraid of you, God. I'm afraid of Pharaoh. I'm I'm in a fearful spot in my life. Leave me with the sheep. Leave me out there in the wilderness. And yet God is calling him. And God reassures him that he's with him. Moses is like, I already ran from Pharaoh already. Why are you bringing me back to the situation? Many of us have probably felt called by God to do something. An initiative. And it didn't go well the first time. Maybe you led a Bible talk. Maybe you led a family group. And it was the worst experience ever. You know, everyone the same week decided that they hate Jesus and they hate you. And you're like, oh, gosh, I failed epically. Maybe at work, you got promoted and it was going good for the first 24 hours. And a week later, everything went bad. The company bellied up and you're on the street and the CEO looks at you and says, your fault. And you're like, I'm never going to be in this type of business again. Maybe evangelism. You worked up the muscle. You're like, I'm going to go share the good news. I'm going to go proclaim Jesus. And the first person you talk to, she has a nice sweater. She looks friendly. And then you approach her and you're like, hey, would you like to know about Jesus? She's like, I'm an atheist. I hate God. I hate you and I hate this city. And you're like, I'm never talking to anyone again. You go back in your house and you're like, nobody's open. Everyone is, I'm terrified. I'm not doing this anymore. Maybe you were scared to have the talk. There's someone in your life that it's just hard to talk to. Everyone knows that they're difficult. But, you know, you had some Christian friends in your life who were like, you got to talk to them. Talk to your mom. You're always having a tough relationship with your mom. Or talk to your dad or talk to your brother. Do the talk. It's going to go well. You know how many stories where God did this incredible stuff. And you're like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then you go talk to that family member and it goes awful. You got disinvited from Thanksgiving. And you're like, what? Is, you see, I'm not talking to them anymore. This made my life worse. <clears throat> Again, then there's life situations where we feel the fear. And you know what ends up happening is we get paralyzed for the rest of our lives sometimes. We're like, that's always how it's going to be. That's always how it's going to play itself out. So I'm not doing anything else. Why did God call him 40 years to do something that he kind of sort of initially started on his own? When Moses saw what the Egyptians were doing to the Israelites. Could it perhaps be that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today to say, maybe some of us need to kind of say, okay, God, I'm scared and I want to start bringing this to you. 
You see, fear took Moses out into the wilderness for 40 years. If anything, it gave Moses perspective, I hope. But Moses talks to God. Talking to God is a form of prayer. Talking to God is a form of prayer. Maybe we're scared and it's okay to go to God like, God, I'm scared. We don't have time to read all of Moses' reply. Moses gives all the excuses you could think of. I can't speak well. When am I going to tell them? Aaron's going to speak for you. Ah, well... What if they don't listen? What how the elders really, like? I'm gonna give you a stick that could turn into a snake. What if that don't do it? He's like, just go. And he's like, he's like, I'm gonna go. You know, and at various points you see, and I love Moses' story because you see at various points God is building up his confidence. He's like, hey man, I told Pharaoh let him go. Pharaoh said no. He's like, you see God, he didn't want to let go. He's like, all right, plague one. Oh, okay, plague one. All right. And then he Pharaoh's like, I'm going to switch it up. And he's like, okay, I'm going to pray for you. And Pharaoh's changed his mind. He's like, you see, God, he wasn't going to change his mind. Like, I think as much as it was to test Pharaoh, it was testing Moses as well. The challenge is sometimes I think when we get confronted with teachings of God or when we get confronted with calls, we instantly feel like it isn't going to change. Nothing's going to change. Why would it change? He had to talk to Pharaoh 10 times. Some of us quit after one time. Whatever the challenge is in our life, just one time, you're like, I quit. I quit. No way. It's not happening anymore. If it was God's plan, it would have worked. Only one person in the Bible, not, and even Jesus had his challenges. Daniel. Daniel's the only story. If you've only read the book of Daniel, it seems like his life is always working out. That's, that's not true for most people in the scriptures. But shout out to Daniel. When we see him in new creation, we're like, it looked like you had it easy, bro. <laughs> He's like, because I pray three times a day. How many times do you pray? He's like, okay, you win. <laughs> But I think sometimes that, that initial fear, it prevents us. We're like that one time didn't work out well. That second time didn't work out. The third time it didn't work out well. Whatever the situation is. You see, God assures Moses, I am with you. This is Genesis 3 language here. He's like, I'm with you. And now we have intimate relationship. God's presence is intended to provide security for us. I am speaks of God's eternal quality. We cannot confuse God with any other being in creation. Like God isn't one of the Greek deities that are in creation the way they tell the story. God is outside of creation. He's like, I'm with you. Let's go to Psalm 46. Like God is with his people. And fear is, fear is one of those emotions that cannot control God's people. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Verse 2. Therefore we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams may clad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in the uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is his fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease. To the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God 
of Jacob is our fortress. The city of God that they're talking about here is Jerusalem or Zion, where, where, the told, where the temple dwelled. And it was the sacred place where God's presence was. And in that sacred place is where people, the people of Israel experienced God's salvation, his daily rescue, and his wholeness. You see, God is in control of creation. That's what the psalmist is trying to allude to. Like, think about the big disasters that we're aware of that, that he mentions here. He's like, the mountains fall into the sea. I think all of us, if we were scared, if we saw Acadia fall into the sea, that, that's probably a normal response. You're like, well, Acadia just fell into the sea. You start running. And I'm going to start reading this passage, and everyone's just going to run by me, right? <laughs> I might read it and run. <laughs> but God is in control. God has called you or called the unique situation. I actually believe a lot of those feelings and impulses, especially if we test the spirit as a community, a lot of those feelings and impulses are callings from God and he's asking us to go. He's like, I'm in control. Now, what God being in control doesn't mean the outcome will go the way you want it to. I wish that meant that. But that is not always the case. Sometimes it needs to not go the way you intended to so God can be glorified. God in verses four through seven says, this is his city, the dwelling, Jerusalem, the the city of God, where his presence is. As followers of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit in us, that's where his presence resides. That God's spirit is with us. So even the chaotic waters, even the chaotic waters are transferred into nourishment. How many of us have grown from some of the most challenging things that we never thought we could get through? We've all had those days where it's like, I cannot get through this. Those sleepless nights, those sleepless weeks, those challenging periods where you look and you're just like, oh, I can't get through this moment. You know, it just is weighty and weighty. And then you look back four years, two years removing, you're like, I see why God put me through that. Because I learned something. Now, sometimes we don't learn anything. (laughs) And you're like, you're resentful and bitter. And I hope that you're willing to go back into the school of hard knocks and trust God to form you into who he's calling to, who he's calling you to. The refrain in verse 11, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And in verse seven, the Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. It's repeated twice because it's important. The Lord is with his people. The Lord is with his people. When you're out there, the Lord is with you. In those difficult situations that you're tempted to feel great fear, the Lord is with you. It's hard sometimes in the moment because you only see yourself and you see whatever it is you're afraid of. But the Lord is with you. He says, be still and know that I am the Lord. And he's not talking about quietism, but he's talking about having a deep awe of who God is. And recognize what he's able to do in the situation. You could go to the next slide. Verse first John verse um, four. First John chapter four, verse eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How do we develop perfect love? It feels like perfect love. Like, is that even possible? It feels like nothing in life is perfect. 
And yet the scriptures teach us how to develop perfect love. Let's, let's continue to read um, 1 John. We're going to start in verse 13, and then we're going to go back to that verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Verse 17 says, this is how love, that same word complete is the same word in verse 18 that's perfect. Tell off. This is how we are, we are made perfect or complete among us on the day of judgment. We are like Jesus. To be like Jesus is to exhibit perfect love. To walk as Jesus did is to exhibit perfect love. And I get the, I get the, the, the refrain. It's like, man, this is really difficult. And that's why God first loved you. Our love is in response to God's love. God makes the first movement toward us. There was a, a, a guy in my community who would always address everyone. Didn't matter who it was as beloved. He was just like, hey, what's up, beloved? It didn't matter who it was. Beloved. He's like, hey, where beloved going? He would just be like, beloved, beloved. Everything was beloved. That we started calling him beloved. Like, hey, what's up, beloved? And then everyone would be like, why you calling him beloved? What's his name? He's like, actually, I don't even know. <laughs> just beloved. <laughs> I actually never really got to know his name. But we would always be like, hey, I haven't seen beloved in a while. You know, but you are God's beloved. Now it feels foreign because it's like, oh, I'm beloved, like, oh, I'm cherished, I stop that. Just refer to me as Steve, don't talk about you love me, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. I, used, I still call Julian love, but there was a season where, where when Brian wanted to get, not Brian, when Stephen wanted to get Julian's attention, he would go, mommy, 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 love. <laughs> he would say, love. <laughs> He's like, that's how my dad gets you to show up. <laughs> God loves you. He loves you. Now, here's what you're thinking. I got to earn God's love. No, God loves you. I got to be loved. God loves you. In your, in your mess, he loves you. He first initiates this love. Now, you're not working from a place of trying to earn that love anymore, right? Because you were loved in your mess. If you were lazy today and you feel that shame, God's like, I love you. My lazy son. <laughs> if you were angry today and you were like, God's like, I don't like that, but I love you, my angry child. If you struggle with purity today and you're like, oh, I fell into the trap on work. God hates me. God's like, I want you to be holy. I want you to be pure. But that is not the reason I love you. I loved you. I loved you first. I loved you before you even showed up. So I love you. And I imitate my son and be free. Imitate my, my son and don't be scared of the judgment and the punishment. You know, a lot of us live in a state of spiritual insecurity. 
some of you I've talked to in private. If Jesus came back today, I don't know. That should never be the reply to Christian. Now, you can't be like slam dunk. I definitely know. That's, that's God's decision. <laughs> but you should say, man, I've been faithful to the Lord this whole week. I've been faithful to the Lord this whole period. I feel confident. I don't know if it's perfect. I hope I'm not surprised. You know, imagine, I remember a brother was sharing the story about like if Judgment Day was like this huge long line. And he was like, what would you be thinking? I'm like, honestly, I would hope I know some people ahead of me. Because then I gauge my life off of them. <laughs> I, I'd be like, man, I hope all the derelicts here are well done, good and faithful service. Because if they do, then I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> now, I know it won't work like that. God probably won't even let me see what's going on. Because that gives me too much anxiety in that moment. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, you made it? Oh, he didn't make it. Whoa. <laughs> and God, this is stuck this moment. I don't know how it's going to be, but if it was a line and I got to see that, I'd be stressed out. I just beg all of us to be stressed out. But you're God's beloved. Now, here's a challenge. We don't recognize that voice in our day-to-day life. <clears throat> Henry Nowen, in his book, um, The Life of the Beloved, shares this powerful thought that I think all of us potentially could resonate with. I certainly resonate with it. Here's the quote. Yes, there is that voice, that voice that speaks from above, from within, that whispers softly and declares loud, or declares loudly, you are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. It certainly is not easy to hear the voice in a world filled with voices that shout, you are no good. You are ugly. You are worthless. You are despicable. You are nobody unless you can demonstrate the opposite. These negative voices are so loud and so persistent that it's easy to believe them. That's the great trap. It is the trap of self-rejection. Over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way that they are part of a much larger temptation of self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success and popularity and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. I am constantly surprised at how quickly I give into this temptation. As soon as someone accuses me or criticizes me, as soon as I am rejected, left alone or abandoned, I find myself thinking, well, that proves once again that I'm a nobody. Instead of taking a critical look at the circumstances, trying to understand my own and others' limitations, I tend to blame myself not for what I did, but for who I am. My dark side says I am no good. I deserve to be pushed aside, forgotten, rejected, rejected and abandoned. I think a huge part of that rejection comes from fear. Fear that the love of God is not enough. And so in Psalm 103 that Julian read, he, treats, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Let that, let that sit in. He doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. Sometimes we're scared to approach God in confession. We're scared to approach God. We're like, he, if he knew the person that I am, he knows the person that you are. But if he knew what I was, he knows. And yet he sent his son to die for you. Yet you are completely and utterly lovable. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus in this season of your life, and you're like, I don't know if I could do this. Jesus is worth it, man. 
You know, justification by faith is that we will trust God's saving love through the cross to remind us of his love and rescue us the way he rescued Egypt from, um, the way he rescued the Israelites from Egypt. You know, what Moses learned on this journey was that God was with him. The rest of the book of Exodus, Numbers, even at the end, he learns that God was with him. That, that same God who was with Moses reveals himself in the person of Jesus and in the great commission says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises that he's with his disciples always to the very end of the age. Disciples, do you want to experience the belovedness of God? Walk as Jesus did. Walk as Jesus did. Over time, you experience the richness and depth of his love. You see, Moses' first portion of his life was filled with fear. The last portion of his life, the fear was removed. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. I love what the Hebrew writer says here. Some 2,000 plus years after Moses lived his life. Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith, talking about Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Hebrews 11, verse 27. We'll read it one more time. Talking about Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses' story starts off running in fear of the king of Egypt. And as the Hebrew writer reflects, as the Holy Spirit is speaking through the Hebrew writer, reflects it's like Moses was no longer afraid of the very person who sent his life on a completely different trajectory. I want that to be said of us. As we mature in Christ, God, I used to be scared of that. I used to have this fear. I want us to start dreaming big again. And I get it, a lot of bad things has happened. I was talking with um, some of the mature brothers and I was sharing their kind of story. I get it, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of bad things have happened, but I want us to start dreaming again. I want us to start saying, man, we can do something amazing. It won't be easy. Let me throw out that disclaimer. It never is easy. Anything awesome is never easy. But if we start dreaming again, then we get to be on the other side. And maybe on the last day when we see God, God was like, you weren't afraid, were you? And you're like, at some point, I lost the fear, man. And he's like, yeah, you did all right. Well done, good and faithful servant. He gave God a high five. And the angels be like, you did it. He's like, I did it. I did all right, man. That'd be so cool. I'm pretty sure the angels are chill. Even though every time you see one, they're like, don't be afraid. You're like, by virtue of you saying that, I think I feel like I should be afraid. I want us to reflect on some of the fears that we've been having. What are some fears that you've been feeling like, man, I'm trapped by? I want to take some time to reflect, you know, like how do we become a people who are not trapped by our fears? So after we have a time of reflection, we'll pray for communion.